Hello everybody, I'm Dr. Trevin Hatch. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. You can find the podcast version of this material at strangersinjerusalem.podbean.com. Also check out my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. It's similar information than what you get in this video, but it's much more extensive. As always, please click the subscribe button and the little notification bell so, you can get, so you'll be notified of future videos and tell me in the comments section something new that you learned while watching this video. In this particular episode, we will look at Jesus as a Jewish healer. We will situate Jesus within the Jewish context and notions of miracle workers, especially those who were known as holy men who healed people. So follow me, let's go to Jerusalem. Stories of healing in the Second Temple literature are very few. Most of them are accounts of healings performed by biblical prophets like Elijah and Elisha. Healers in Jesus's day, or those thought to be healers, were rare. At least this is at least according to the available evidence in the literature. Jewish literature does mention, however, a handful of healers that might help us contextualize Jesus's healing activities. Before meeting these figures, it benefits us to step back and explore briefly the ancient Mediterranean conceptions of illness. Today, we tend to think of sickness in nuanced ways due to both our knowledge of the body and advancements in medical technology. When a person experiences pain in the abdomen, for example, that person and his or her medical professionals attempt to identify the specific cause of the affected organs. Such information is necessary for treatment. Also, when we today encounter a person who seems a bit off, for lack of better uh, description, we might assume that that person is, has something amiss in the brain, that that person might have a mental condition or mental illness. When we conceptualize sickness, we think in terms of germs, viruses, infections, diseases, or defects from birth, or a mental imbalance, chemical imbalance that needs to be treated. In Jesus's day, however, they had little to no conception of disease. They did not understand illness the same way we do today. To them, illness was most often the result of, di of divine disfavor on the part of the afflicted or his or her parents even. A third century, this is one example, a third century CE rabbi, Hiya ben Abba, commented that, quote, a sick man does not recover from his sickness until all his sins are forgiven him, unquote. Another rabbi, Rabbi Ami, similarly taught, quote, there is no suffering without iniquity, unquote. The idea that sin causes illness also found its way into the Gospels. When Jesus' disciples see a blind man in Jerusalem, they ask, quote, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, unquote. This is in John chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus tells another blind man, quote, see, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you, unquote. This is John chapter 5, 14. Note, however, a counterexample when Jesus teaches in the Gospel of John that, quote, neither this blind man nor his parents sinned, unquote. John 9, 3. We must not overstate this conclusion, however. People back then were not so naive to think that every little ailment was a curse from God. But for unexplained, highly disruptive illnesses, the default explanation was sin and divine disfavor. This is why we read in early Jewish literature, including the New Testament, that healers were not considered physicians in the way we use the term, i.e. experts in biology and medicine, 
but were perceived as being either prophets of God or magicians influenced by Satan. So if you were a healer, if you helped people get better and especially performed miraculous healings, you were not seen necessarily as a physician who knew what you were doing. It was either God helped you do this or Satan helped you do this. For example, some think Jesus is a demon-influenced magician after he heals a man in Luke chapter 11, Mark 3, and Matthew 12. Another first century Jewish healer that we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute is asked immediately after he heals someone if he is a prophet. It is difficult to discuss Jewish healing in the New Testament period without mentioning the Galilean miracle worker, Rabbi Hanina Bendoza. What is intriguing about Hanina are the similarities he shares with Jesus. There's several of them. Both of these men are first century Jewish healers, and Hanina lived only 10 miles from Nazareth in the town of Arav. According to the traditions, Rabbi Hanina must have ministered in Lower Galilee in the middle of the first century, shortly after Jesus, because he is mentioned in association with Rabbi Gamliel, the teacher of Paul. See Acts 22.3. A rabbinic story claims that a voice from heaven called Hanina, quote, my son, unquote, and proclaimed that, quote, the whole world is nourished by the good deeds of Hanina, unquote. If you remember, a voice also calls Jesus, a voice from heaven also calls Jesus, same, same term, my son, both at his baptism and his transfiguration. Rabbi Hanina is well known in rabbinic literature for his ability to heal by means of prayer. He would pray to, to heal people. Two of these healings are similar to a few of Jesus's healings. The tradition here is preserved in Jewish literature as follows. Once the son of Rabbi Gamliel fell ill. So it's the same Rabbi Gamliel in the Acts of the Apostles. Once the son of Rabbi Gamliel fell ill, he sent two scholars to Rabbi Hanina Bendoza to ask him, to pray for him. When he saw them, he went up to an upper chamber and prayed for him. When he came down, he said to them, Go, the fever has left him. They sat down and made a note of the exact moment. When they came to Rabbi Gamil, he said to them, You have not been a moment too soon or too late, but so it happened. At that very moment, the fever left him, and he asked for water to drink. On another occasion, it happened that Rabbi Hanita Bendoza went to study Torah with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, is another first, well-known first century sage, Yochanan ben Zakkai. The son of Rabbi Yochanan fell ill. He said to him, Hanina, my son, pray for him that he, might, that he may live. He put his head between his knees and prayed for him, and he lived. Like Hanina, Jesus healed two people from a distance in a similar manner, if you remember, including the son of a prominent figure in Galilee. After Gamaliel's men approached Hanina, he prayed and then said, Go, the fever has left him. And at that exact moment, the fever left him. This is similar to Jesus, too, who tells the official, quote, Go, your son will live. And at that very hour, the fever left him. See, these are, these are very similar, even parallel accounts. Uh, that last one is in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 53. Note that Hanina, like Jesus, was compared to Elijah another northern prophet from the Hebrew scriptures. Like Elijah, Hanina prayed with his head between his knees. See 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42. We already discussed in a previous video how Elijah and Elisha, two northern prophets in Lower Galilee, were similar in their functions and deeds to John and Jesus. So it makes sense that Rabbi Hanina Bendoza is also compared to Elijah. Why? Because he's ministering in the same area in which the former popular prophet ministered. In another tradition, probably dating to the first century, a poisonous snake bit Rabbi Hanina's heel. 
The story is repeated in several places in rabbinic literature, and there's some different embellishments in later accounts. But in one version, Hanina offered his heel to the serpent, and the serpent bit it and then died. Hanina then turned to his disciples and said, quote, See, my sons, it is not the serpent that kills, it is sin that kills, unquote. Jesus similarly teaches his disciples, quote, See, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and nothing shall hurt you, unquote. This is Luke 10, verse 19. In another story, this is a fascinating story, a man approached Rabbi Hanina to inquire about the legitimacy of another healer. The man told Hanina that he knows this other healer is a legitimate healer because people approached him to heal their ailing eyes. As a firstborn son, this man could heal their eyes with his saliva because as explained by the rabbis in the Babylonian Talmud, quote, it is a learned tradition that the saliva of a father's firstborn heals ailing eyes, heals this ailment. Other places in rabbinic texts preserve traditions of healing of, of saliva that heals and even debates about the propriety of such a practice. This eye-healing saliva tradition also appears in the Jerusalem Talmud, where it is again assumed that spittle heals blindness. Now, why is this important for our understanding of Jesus? Well, because one of Jesus's followers asked him, they approach him and ask him about the legitimacy of another healer, just like in the Rabbi Hanina Bendoza story. And they, what they said is, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Unquote. This is Luke 9, 49-50. What this tells us is that there are other Jewish holy men who are healing people, and Jesus is not worried about them. God's Spirit, according to this, from what I understand this passage, can work through different people, not just through Jesus. Okay, that's that, that portion of the story, but what about this healing saliva? This tradition is directly relevant to a few stories in the Gospels of Mark and John. If you remember, here, so here's the one, here's the, the verse in Mark 8. This is the story in Mark 8, verses 22 through 26. Quote, He took a blind man, and when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid hands on him, he saw everything clearly, unquote. Here's John chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. He spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He then went and washed and came back able to see. If the saliva tradition was widely known in the first century, and if the stories in Mark and John are historical, then Jesus probably utilized this cultural legend in order to demonstrate to those present, or to the blind man himself, that he was a firstborn son of the Father, of, fa of God the Father. If the story is not historical, but an earlier Jewish tradition, then it still follows that the authors of the Gospels would utilize this tradition and, and weave it or fold it into the narratives for the same reason, to speak to their Jewish readers according to the prevailing traditions, customs, and notions. Several other healing stories have Jesus touching the affected person or the defective body part and instantly healing the, healing the afflicted. Uh, if you remember, Jesus touches the eyes of two blind men in Matthew 9. He reaches out and touches the man with leprosy in Matthew 8 and Mark 1 and Luke 5. He lays his hands on a crippled woman in Luke 13, and he heals a deaf man by inserting his fingers into his ears in Mark 7 verses 31 through 35. 
Similar stories are preserved in early Jewish literature of a healer touching and instantly healing the, the afflicted. For instance, Rabbi Judah the Prince, uh, Judah Hanasi, a second century CE rabbi, so this is a generation or two, two generations after Jesus, uh, Judah the Prince or Judah Hanasi suffered from a toothache for 13 years. The prophet Elijah appeared to him in the guise of the well-known Rabbi Hia. Elijah placed his finger directly on the tooth and it was healed instantly. Elsewhere, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Hia ben Abba healed each other by grasping the, others, the other person's hand. They grasped each other's hand and healed them. In separate instances, each lay sick in bed and were unable to move. The healer in both cases takes, takes the hand and raises him up, it says, and raises him up. Notice the striking similarity to the story of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law while she lay in bed with a fever. Same, same kind of, same elements in, in this story. Jesus took her by the hand and lifted her up, says Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. We should note that if a person had a reputation of being a healer, his popularity would have spread quickly throughout the region. Another Galilean healer, like Rabbi Hanina and Jesus of Nazareth, was Rabbi Yossi in the early 2nd century CE. There was another rabbi, a sage named Yossi, who also healed a lot of people. Due to his ability to heal, his fame and reputation spread so far and wide that a 10th century Jewish man, a sick man, cried out, quote, Rabbi Yossi, the Galilean, heal me, unquote. That's the same thing that later Christians would do, would say about Jesus. They would cry out to, for Jesus to heal them. Examinations of numerous skeletal remains reveal that most people in ancient Judea and Galilee were malnourished and iron deficient. Most people died before the age of 18, which means that the population, including the child population, was saturated with sickness, disease, lethargy, and chronic pain. We talked about in another video, if you remember, that most adults had fractured bones, inflamed joints, arthritis, osteoporosis, and crooked backs, not to mention all the ailments not limited to the skeletal system, like organ malfunctions, skin disease, and other infections. In addition, certain diseases were especially formidable. Numerous studies have demonstrated that anemia was widespread throughout the Mediterranean world. Evidence preserved in Roman-era bones reveal that gastrointestinal and respiratory diseases wreaked havoc on the population. These diseases included, included dysentery, malaria, typhus, typhoid, and tuberculosis. Malaria was particularly nasty, killing twice as many people during the months of August and September than during any other month. And this is according to inscriptions from Roman catacombs. Galilean residents were probably more susceptible to malaria due to both the lake Sea of Galilee, it's actually freshwater lake, and abundant annual rainfall that resulted in stagnant pools of water. So all this created more mosquitoes, breeding ground for, uh, for malaria. We are reminded of the extremely high death rates due to malaria among early 20th century settlers in Galilee, in that region. As mentioned previously, various ancient sources mention specific people several people who suffered from fevers, a symptom of malaria, including Rabbi Gamaliel's son, Peter's uh, mother-in-law, and the centurion's son at Capernaum. Josephus confirmed that this area around or near the Sea of Galilee was saturated with pestilence. It is within this context that we can interpret Jesus in relation to his healing activities. If he had the reputation to heal, his fame would have spread quickly throughout the region. It is no wonder then that much of Jesus's ministry 
were healings. The majority of his miracles were healings. If you just take all of his 37 miracles, 28 of them, or 75%, were healings, depending on how one defines a miracle. So it's a large majority. That's all for this video. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate your support. Please again, click the subscribe button and tell me in the comments something new that you learned in this video. Also check out my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. That was awesome. <laughs>